0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 135. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to celebrate the reopen of Disneyland. We are closing in on that reopen date. And... You know, we've talked on this show before about how we mentally love to go to our favorite places on Earth. Disneyland being one of the most treasured. And when I thought to myself, what do I think of when I think about Disneyland? I could not help but think about a cookie nom nom. And that got us going on The Incredibles. So here we are, 2004's The Incredibles. I am excited to sit back and talk about these two films Far beyond a cookie. Um, <laughs> this has kind of been a long time coming, but when better to jump at the opportunity than now?
1: Yeah, I mean, we kind of debated a little bit. Could we have done Cars? Yes, because that probably is... Well, no, it really is a toss-up between that and Pixar Pier for my favorite spot in Disneyland. But... Um, we didn't want to drag this on for three weeks. Cars has a lot of movies, a lot of sequels. Yeah,
0: there's a lot to talk about with Cars. Not to say that there isn't a lot to talk about when it comes to Incredibles. Obviously, we're going to talk about it uh, starting today. But, yeah, I mean, so that's a very interesting part of that park because originally it was not a Pixar-themed thing. It was really a California-themed
1: thing. I'm so glad we waited.
0: So it was 100% worth the wait when you can get on Coaster, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'll link our trip report from our trip to Disneyland a couple of years ago in the show notes. You can go listen to everything that we have to say about it there. 2004, the movie comes out. Did you see this in theaters or was this one that you waited until it was released on, uh, well, DVD. By 2004, it would have been DVD. I'm so, like, used to saying VHS.
1: That would have been my senior year of high school, 2004, but we went as a family. Because this just looked so cool. And there's definitely something in it for everyone.
0: Yeah, I did not see it until really a couple of years after it had come out on DVD. I want to say I watched it. uh, I had seen it before our first trip to Disney World together. I probably watched this for the first time in 2008. So I waited a few years.
1: I just can't believe it's that old. Because it certainly doesn't feel like it. Especially since the sequel picks up right where this one ends. Which obviously we're going to talk about the sequel next week. And it's so interesting that they did it that way. Because this is probably the longest gap that we've ever had. Even more so than Wreck-It Ralph.
0: Yeah, for sure. Between
1: sequels. But... um, You know, and I appreciate that they took their time with it, but it's just so funny that they didn't do the time jump over the 14 years, that it just picks up where the other one ends.
0: Right. The question is, for me, was it worth the four-year wait to watch this film for the first time? That is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co., Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs.
0: We see superheroes such as Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, and Frozone in their glory days, but after a pile of lawsuits against supers, they all go into hiding. Fifteen years later, Bob and Helen, that would be Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, are busy raising a family and raising their children, Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack. Bob and Lucius, who's also known as Frozone, lie about their bowling nights to continue monitoring crime in their town, much to the dismay of Helen. When Bob is fired from InsuraCare, his colleague Rick tells him that It's happened too often, and he is on his own. So this was kind of like a, I don't want to call it the Witness Protection Program, but it's basically what it was for superheroes to get them adapted into civilian life. When Bob returns home, he finds a tablet in his briefcase with a message from Mirage offering a chance to return at triple his current salary. This is the opportunity to return as a super. Instead of telling Helen he's been fired, he tells her he's been sent away for business and accepts Mirage's offer to pursue and destroy the Omnidroid, a military robot that... ...is a learning robot. It's able to adapt, and it makes it very dangerous. Loving his return to being a Super Bob gets back into shape... ...while also becoming a better husband and father... He goes to his former designer, Edna Mode, to have his suit patched, but she insists on making him a new suit. When Mirage calls with Bob's next mission, Helen listens in and believes that Bob is actually cheating on her. When she notices a patch on his suit, she calls Edna, who invites her over. Meanwhile, we learn that Bob's former biggest fan, Buddy who now goes by Syndrome, has been tracking him and is set on destroying him. He's also working with Mirage. Back at Edna's house, she shows Helen the suits that she made for the entire family, assuming Helen was aware that Bob was acting as Super again. Bob learns that Syndrome has terminated almost every living superhero, and he intends on uh, attacking Metroville. Helen pursues Bob, who is now captured by Syndrome. The kids stow away on the jet that Helen took to get to Bob while Jack-Jack is left with a sitter, but the jet is then shot down. Mirage, betrayed by Syndrome, tells Bob his family is alive and helps set him free. The four are reunited and head back to Metroville, where Syndrome is staging himself as a new superhero. So in other words, he unleashed this Omnidroid, and then stepped in to, quote-unquote, destroy it and save the day. With some help from Frozone, they defeat Syndrome's robot and bring Pride back to the Supers. They return home to see that Syndrome has captured Jack-Jack, but they are able to defeat Syndrome and save Jack-Jack at the expense of their home. And right as they go back to living a regular life, here comes the Underminer. And that's where the second movie literally picks up, and we'll talk about that next week, of course. Um, I love this movie from the rip because I love the introduction. I think that it not only shows the glory days for superheroes, But it also shows their frustrations. And like it was not always as glorious as things seemed.
1: It is such a brilliant opening, especially because this movie throughout toes the line of we don't really know what time period we're in. Mm -hmm. And they put it in standard death. And that's something that unless you're a real tech nerd, you may not pick up on. But... You can see that these interviews, they have the black bars on the side. It's not a widescreen. So they are giving us some sort of reference to a time period. I think we can rule out that in this universe that they've created, it takes place anywhere past the 90s with this standard definition.
0: Well, you figure if it's 2004 and it's 15 years prior then the the latest it can take place is 1989. So you're right on you're right on with the time period. Um some of the architecture may lead you to believe that it's earlier. We're going to talk about all the animation in the world that they built later on, but yeah, it's it's sort of interesting because you you really don't know. Like in 2004 was this movie meant to take place in 2004? You know what I'm saying? They kind of leave you guessing the whole time.
1: No, it's definitely not 2004, but that is just such a smart little detail to clue you in as well as showing Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl in their youth. Like you said, they're venting, they're developing the characters right here from the jump because they're talking about their frustrations. But you also notice that her hair is a little bit longer. And with, with Mr. Incredible to me, it's so striking that he's so much more angular and you don't realize I mean, they do a good job, obviously, of, of showing that they're aged with the kids. But right. you don't realize how much more bloated they made him until you see this first interview.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they totally change him and age him. And it's, it's really convincing. But yeah, like in the very beginning, he's totally buff. Yeah. And the interesting thing, too, is seeing Elastigirl where she gives like the really hokey line where she's like, you have to be more flexible but she's, like, kind of flirty and sexy about it, right? Which is, like, so different from the Elastigirl that you get who's now with the mom jeans and the vacuum and the baby on her hip. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, like, stereotypical, like, mom of three who's just trying to, like, keep the household together. It's such a stark contrast, but I really like that they do this early on.
1: Agreed. It's... It's a great start across the board. Before we get too much further, though, I want to hit on something that you said in the plot that didn't really occur to me until just now. I hadn't planned on talking about this. Obviously, you know, being superheroes is their profession, right? It's just so weird to think about it as a job because the modern-day superheroes that we've seen, I'm obviously talking about the Avengers. Right, it's it's a calling. It's a higher power. It's a scientific experiment gone wrong. Uh-huh. I feel like we've become so conditioned to that version of the superhero and they have totally taken it one step further now with Falcon and Winter Soldier. We're, we're seeing our heroes broke and struggling to make money. It's just so interesting that this coming in 2004 set up that idea that this is their job. But establishing that this is a career and having that juxtaposed against their family life is so brilliant.
0: Right, because I think the key here is to humanize them, which I know kind of seems strange to say because they are superhuman, they're superheroes. But, like, for example, we know I've mentioned one superhero that likes to be a Dark Knight. I've mentioned him on this show a few times. I don't need to see his parents get shot again. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I feel like... Things like that are what humanizes Batman because you sympathize with Bruce Wayne. In this case, they take it in a totally different direction, mostly for comedic purposes, but it works.
1: Right. Like, even before the family aspect comes into play, he's on his way to their wedding, as we learn. He gets, Mr. Incredible gets thwarted So many times. And again, it's great character development because you know he can't say no. He's got to be the hero and it doesn't matter that he's going to be late to his own wedding. He's going to drop what he's doing to save the day. Um, This scene is just so great. It's unbelievable how many times he gets derailed Um, because it's not just that he, he stops a suicide attempt. That's actually a setup for a bigger operation. And then Buddy comes into play in the very beginning and it just keeps snowballing until he barely makes the wedding. This film does such an amazing job of raising the stakes and escalating every situation.
0: Right, but the other thing that they do is they give you a very action-packed first five minutes of this movie. But all of it is there for a purpose. It all pays off. Planting Incrediboy early with Buddy. The Jumper, I mean, basically, it's the McDonald's coffee lady thing, right? Like, the Jumper is saved and gets, gets injured upon his rescue or upon being saved from his suicide. So he goes and sues the city. And so... Um, it is the McDonald's coffee lady thing, and that is the setup as to why the supers need to go into hiding. It's so tongue in cheek because it—I mean, it's obviously it's ridiculous, but at the same time, that's sort of a uh, commentary on the world that we live in, where it kind of doesn't matter how well intentioned you are. We can can just sue anybody nowadays.
1: No, and the line that they deliver is, you didn't save my life, you ruined my death. And I'm I'm certainly not trying to make light of of a suicide attempt or mental health issues, but the way that this completely backfires on Mr. Incredible launches the entire story from here. And what's amazing to me is how poignant the superhero Fall from Grace was then, and still is now. I mean, they tell this very quickly through a montage of newspaper headings. So it's kind of a blinker, you'll miss it thing. But the idea is that superheroes are are now outlawed and the government is going to step in. And they're removing statues. Now, what does that sound like?
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's very, very poignant. And, uh, you know, Disney, again, being very much ahead of its time, um, even by 2004 standards, I think.
1: Well, 2004 was on the heels of McDonald's Coffee Lady, so things were starting to get a little crazy then. But my point is that they they still hit on something that's relevant today. Or right. maybe my point is more that we haven't come that far since 2004.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just... <laughs> Do better. It's incredible that... We've talked about is it sometimes the Simpsons gets it right and sometimes Disney predicts things years ahead. It's uh, you know before they happen and you're right. This is just another instance where they do, um, and I think that that is a, a lot of the reason why this movie still feels relevant. Um, we're we're on the heels of the Avengers even by today's standards. We're really on the heels of the Avengers and now that we've got. Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision. Like, the MCU isn't going anywhere. So I think between the fact that that is continually fresh, thanks to Disney+, and the state of the world being what it is right now and so many things changing, like, this movie, it I, I would go so far as to say it's it's never felt more relevant. Right. And it's at the time of this recording, it's 17 years old. Oof. You know, think about that for a second. But here we are. So I'd like
1: to redact my earlier statement of saying that 2004 is when I graduated high school. Now, now that we've, <laughs> we've given that away.
0: Well, it's out there in the world. You can't take it back. Okay, so now we get into life after the Supers, right? And I mentioned it before. Elastigirl, Mrs. Incredible, Helen, whatever you want to call her.
1: Oh, no, no. See, that's very interesting. It is Elastigirl not Mrs. Incredible, or not Mrs. Elastic, she chose to keep her name. That's very important, especially as it pertains to the second film. True,
0: but I've heard, see, that's the thing. I've heard her referred to as Mrs. Incredible, whether- Not by herself. Not by herself, but I've I've just heard her. I think people just naturally gravitate towards calling her that because the movie is The Incredibles and you have Mr. Incredible, so naturally you have Mr. But it, does, it doesn't matter. We're going down a slope.
1: It absolutely matters. She's the last girl. Let her keep her own identity. She's already had her superhero card stripped from her.
0: So, we have her, and now we have Bob in this loser job in a cubicle, which within itself is so funny because he's such a hulking individual to begin with. He's so large, and they cram him in this tiny cubicle. So, visually it's funny, but what I love even more is and and I feel for him because I did insurance claims for seven months. There's a reason why it only lasted for seven months. It is a thankless job, and, and it sucks. I, I'm There's no nice way of saying it. The job sucks. But what I love about him is, even in that moment, he's technically not doing anything wrong. He just continues to find these loopholes, in the insurance company, so people keep getting their claims paid out. I think that it's so important for the character because that's the closest he can be to a superhero, so he's still himself, but kind of in a sad way.
1: He's still helping people, but it it's just such a great juxtaposition. Like th- This film does it throughout, really. Even just right down to his name, Bob. They just gave him yes. the most vanilla elements when he's not Mr. Incredible. And I, I'm sorry to anybody whose name is Bob. I don't mean to offend you, but the point of what they did with this character is they just stripped him down to just a shell of who he was and everything that he stands for.
0: Right. I mean, up to and including him and Lucius having to lie about their bowling night, which I love, by the way.
1: This whole scene is... Pun intended, incredible. This film, honestly, should be a a case study in film school just because of the way that these scenes unfold. Like, obviously, we were talking about The Office and Bob's job and how that's juxtaposed against who he is, you know, his real character. But this dinner scene, we're getting to know the kids here. Yeah. And what I think was so smart about how they set up this movie... Could we have seen more of Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl's courtship play out? Yes. Could we have seen them struggling to raise a family and conceal their identity? And then the kids realizing that they too have powers and they have to spend their childhood hiding these powers? Sure. I love that they started us with Violet and Dash I think they picked the perfect ages because you've got an emotional teenager in middle school who's starting to figure out boys. Then you've got Dash, who's a kid who does just want to use these powers and and is sick of having to hide this. I think that the issues that they they had these kids face were absolutely perfect because there were a million ways that you could have gone with this. And. And I just love how we see this unfold, especially in this dinner scene where they start fighting, but then that escalates because they have powers. They start using those powers. Bob is completely checked out and Helen is just having a moment because he's not backing her up when it comes to parenting and everything just falls apart in a matter of seconds. And, and, it ends with him picking the table up. And and it's the perfect blend of using the powers and just these average family problems. It's amazing.
0: Right. It's the movie, the family, all of them are immediately relatable. They're immediately relatable. You forget, and I think it's because the second one is so fresh in our mind, and I guess that's where this movie does feel a lot older, you forget how much... Violet is when you compare her she's so much like Wednesday Adams
1: I was gonna say Lydia Dietz but tomato tomato yeah
0: but but like all of them kind of all fall into the same vein because she as a character comes so far by the end of this movie and certainly by the second movie you forget that she is really was that confused teenager in the very beginning of the film absolutely but i think again disney doing a good job of making it relatable and, and, and this is the other thing you mentioned it before you guys went as a family to go see this your parents middle aged. you were let's just call it 17 18 high school 17, so you see so your yeah. brother's 13 or 14 years old because they do spread the ages out and because They tackle everything in such a tactful way. It does have a broad spectrum. And there's something there for everybody. And I think that's why this movie does appeal to a whole family, much like it clearly did yours if you all went to go see it together.
1: They cast the net really wide with this one. They did. That was a long tangent. And you were about to talk about uh, Frozone
0: bursting in for bowling night. I I love this entire thing. I love this setup. I love that both of them are in on it and that they have this this lie because it's similarly to like Bob's going bowling. You know what I'm saying? And it's like they're trying everything they can to just like assimilate themselves into civilian life in Main Street. Um, so what, what do you do? You go bowling and nobody questions them because it's going to be a thing that the guys do, right? Like that's sort of how they've built this thing up. Sure. And meanwhile, they're still they're still like clinging to that piece of their life and I mentioned it before. You really do feel bad for these supers. Their fall from grace. The fact that they need to lie about a bowling night to listen to police scanners and like hardly even get involved. I mean, it kind of happens by happenstance here, but for the most part they're sort of just observing
1: and it's petty crimes. It's not what they're used to
0: it really does drive home
1: your sympathy for these characters. Right, and at this point, Bob is still at this job that he hates. And the next day, he's getting called into his boss's office. And the boss uses this brilliant metaphor about being a cog in the clock and how, you know, you have to... He's trying to use it as this cheerleader speech yeah. to get Bob to feel like he's a part of the team. Yes. But you are just literally calling him a cog in the wheel and making him feel even more of a shell than he already does. And, and basically, you, you are validating his feelings of being rendered useless.
0: Well, this is the brilliance of Disney and Pixar, isn't it? this is the screenwriting that you've gotten used to with Disney and Pixar.
1: I'm I'm telling you Brad Bird is just this is genius. It should be studied.
0: I also love how Dash wants to go out for school sports. He wants to go out for track and Helen is telling him that he can't he can't go as fast as he knows he can go and that some he has to hold back and sometimes he has to lose. I love the fact and oh and then they talk about the uh the moving up ceremony because they're having a ceremony because he's going from the 4th grade to the 5th grade and Bob says why are we celebrating mediocrity? I love that they even go so far as to tackle that in this film because like I when we were kids we had a moving up ceremony to go from like elementary school to junior high school but yeah like the the kind of phony graduation just to move up a grade. And this is a guy that had a fall from grace. That's used to being a superhero. And now he's like, we talked about before petty crimes on a police scanner. And he's like, Defending Dash, like, no, the kid, he wants to participate. He wants to win. He wants to be an athlete. Why are we just celebrating mediocrity and telling our kids to hold back? I It does so much, like, it's a quick line, but I think it does so much in fleshing out that to Bob, this is more than just reliving the good old days. He's not in his Letterman sweater at the end of the bar talking about the three touchdowns he caught. Like, it means so much more to him.
1: No, and again, it speaks a lot to his character because he's already had his own soul crushed and he's trying not to let it happen to his kid.
0: I mean, and we're like 15 minutes into this movie.
1: Right. So much happening in very little screen time and it is all working towards Bob's explosion of, basically, I I think the kids are calling it when Wanda yeeted Photon through the walls out of...
0: I don't even know what language you're speaking right now. <laughs> I'm I'm convinced it's not English, though.
1: Well, that's pretty much what Bob did to his boss. And then he quit slash got fired. Bob, there was a person that went through walls. Bob did what I
0: think we've all secretly wished that we could do and get away with it. So, again, the movie is just so relatable. But then he gets home. And, and it's interesting that... You see a tablet, they planted it, Mirage planted it in his briefcase, but this is years before the iPad came out. But again, it seems relevant. Like like an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy tablet was not around in 2004, but they are so relevant now.
1: Wasn't the iPod touch though? I thought I had one.
0: Not in 04. No, they were still in the iPod they classic. Still classic. They were still Classic in 04. The best iPod, by the way. I don't care what anybody says. That was the best iPod.
1: Well, I'll give that to you. Regardless, the tablet was ahead of its time.
0: It was ahead of... So, like, for the movie, it felt futuristic. Like, it felt like this really, like, super technical thing that only a superhero could have. Now it feels like, right, a regular person could have it. So that's, that's kind of the brilliance of it, whether intentional or not. It seemed really high-tech and superhero-y at the time, like only a Batman or a Mr. Incredible would have it. But now it works in the opposite way, though still works because these are regular people.
1: So by that logic, one day in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to have a Jarvis.
0: You have an Alexa? You got a Siri.
1: Oh, they scare me. Yeah. They scare me. But
0: Jarvis doesn't. (laughs) No. Jarvis can hold an entire conversation with you and then come to life in vision. (laughs) And Alexa and Siri scare you. Just to clarify that.
1: They're listening.
0: Mm -hmm. And Jarvis isn't. Okay. Let's get Mr. Incredible out of the house.
1: This is when... The film, and I don't know if it was done intentionally or not, but I definitely don't hate it either way, takes on this James Bond feel yes. tonally. It's in the music. It's in going off to this secret location on an island. It's every... a volcano lair. <laughs> it is a volcano lair. Like yeah. You
0: can't get more James Bond
1: than a volcano lair. It's it's perfect. It just works. Yeah. And that's, you know, to your point, too, with the tablet, that's where this movie just sort of it not only blends times, but it blends genres because they do feel like spies. And I found myself thinking that a lot, too. This this film does remind me a lot of Spy Kids.
0: Um, I've never seen Spy Kids.
1: What? Oh, goodness. We're going to have to write that wrong. Robert Rodriguez?
0: I, I mean, Where the parents
1: himself. get kidnapped I've, and then I've seen the kids Desperado. have to go on Okay, all right. Well, I'll give you that one.
0: But, <laughs> I've seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I've seen Robert
1: Rodriguez. Oh, my God. No, Spy Kids was so good. I
0: want to say that movie came out in a time that was like, it was sort of an in-between window for me. I want to say I was like 14 years old. So watching a movie called Spy Kids wasn't really appealing to me. Had I been nine years old, I would have loved it. But I was kind of in that weird window.
1: Well, I still loved it. And that's what I was, the point that I was making earlier is that they could have kind of gone that route too. The parents get kidnapped. They've been hiding their powers, the ki- not powers, but they're, they've are they been hiding that they're spies. The kids find out and they have to go save them and the kids learn how to do what their parents do along the way in order to get to them, and same thing—they're taken to like this mysterious island with uh with floop. Um, what what is a floop? Alan Cummings. Oh, okay. I'm telling you, this movie is amazing. But anyway, back to the movie we're supposed to be talking about.
0: You you spoke in a lot of different languages <laughs> tonight. A floop, a ye, I don't know.
1: A yeet. What?
0: What? Okay. Whatever. Whatever. But here we are in the island. You're right. What I think what they do tactfully though is that superhero movies and spy movies I mean they couldn't be more different. I mean the closest thing you could say are James Bond has his little gadgets and Batman has his gadgets but like and you're solving a crime and going after a bad guy like on the surface that's probably the best comparison you have but the movies could be no further from, uh, you know, they're they're not similar at all.
1: But wait, now are you calling Batman a spy because you just lumped him in with Bond?
0: No, I'm not calling him a spy, because he's not a spy. He's He's a a vigilante. He's a crime fighter. He's not hired by a municipality or a government the way James Bond is.
1: Right, but he's not bitten by a radioactive spider. It's just science and gadgets. So by that logic... He's more in line with i I would liken him more to James Bond before I would Tony Stark, and even though Tony's got his gadgets, he's got the the Iron Man heart, the yeah. vibranium,
0: yeah, 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 yeah i I mean that I guess that's it, you know, like I because I thought the same thing like, oh, you're saying this, but what does that make Iron Man but Iron Man well, yeah, Iron Man's a superhero, but for for different reasons. He's a superhero, so he doesn't die. Does that make sense? He has this thing in his chest that's keeping him alive, but also making him a superhero?
1: Right, because Tony Stark didn't really set out to fight crime. He set out to save his own life and fell into it. Correct. Whereas Bruce Wayne wanted revenge for his parents, but he knew what he was up against. He knew what he was getting himself into wow tangents galore today tangents
0: but i think that's kind of what this film just does to people right because if you really do think about it it's it, the movie and, and i don't think we're a half an hour in yet is an interesting study on the human condition but it is so familiar because it is a james bond movie but it's also batman and it's superman it's it and but but their parents and it's it's confused teenagers and it's this and it's this. The movie pulls from so many different things that I think most people in their life are familiar with that that is why the movie feels so fresh. I think that's why people just like, they tend to gravitate to it like almost immediately.
1: No, and they do it seamlessly. But if I do compare this to Ghostbusters at any point, somebody please step in, do the interfriction
0: my mission will have been complete. <laughs> no, even I cannot find I'm trying. You, no, you will even I can't... you
1: will mm. We're not even a half hour in yet.
0: No, even I can't find a ghostbusters pull here.
1: I bet you he does. All right, Volcano Island, let's go.
0: All right, so Volcano Island. And
1: you know
0: that Bob is so happy. To be Mr. Incredible again. It's the first time he's been Mr. Incredible in 15 years. And you are happy for him, though cautiously optimistic because you know ultimately it can't just be all fun and games. You know something is going to happen and he is going to pay the ultimate price because Mirage, I mean, that's it. She's She is. She's a Mirage. She's just mysterious. You don't know if she's real or fake.
1: Right. As on the nose as that name is, You don't even care. And they do sort of toe the line a little bit because when we meet her, she's in the car. She's spying on them. So you don't know if she is the good or bad guy just yet. I think you kind of lean towards bad because she's clearly reporting to a higher power. But then when she makes him this offer and she gives Mr. Incredible his life back, essentially, or the life that he wants, you do start to trust her a little bit. and. She she actually does have a great character arc. She by does. by the end of the film, she's and and I I guess it is true that you can't trust her because she is a conflicted character. But um I love the turn that Bob takes here because now he's completely free from this job that he hates. He's got this great offer to be a superhero again. He can start pursuing what he wants and I love the commentary on how much a state of mind plays in your everyday? Yes, Yes. because he doesn't just start working out because, okay, I've been out of the game for a while. I got to get back in shape. He's just overall so much happier and he's participating more with his family and he's paying more attention to them because he's not stuck in this soul-sucking job.
0: You're totally right. I love the fact that he becomes this better father, this better husband. But like, it doesn't come off as disingenuous. It's he's he's not walking around. You've seen the caricature so many times of like he's got the sunglasses on, and he's strutting down the street to staying alive because everybody's parodied Saturday Night Fever. Like it is this total like mind and body transformation where he is so much happier because he's really back to doing what he was meant to do like he was put you could just tell he loved being a super so much that it was like I was put on this earth to do this and being able to watch him do it again it was so incredible to see like a light shine on this character again
1: no and I think it's important that they clearly defined it's not that his family took that away from him it's not that he gave up his dreams to have a family and now he resents them for it because it could have taken that turn too. Now it's just that he's got his passion back and he can pursue his passion and I think that is such an important message.
0: Right. This isn't like the scene out of Jersey Girl where Ben Affleck loses his mind on his child because he's no longer this high-end publicist or whatever it was he was doing. He wasn't an agent, but he was a publicist, a PR, whatever it was. And he blames his daughter and his his wife who had passed away when she gave birth to the daughter for, quote unquote, ruining his life. Right. You don't have that moment here. It works in Jersey Girl. It would have just felt out of place here.
1: Definitely. But it's it's a complete 180 and you see him happier and just more involved and he's more likable again. He's yes. He's what you liked in the beginning.
0: Well, that's the amazing thing, right? Like... Bob does not become a dislikable character when he goes from being Mr. Incredible to being Bob the insurance guy.
1: Right, because he is still helping people, but you do just want to grab him and shake him to snap out of it. Right. That's my
0: point. Like, he's never dislikable, but he becomes so much more likable, which I know, sa- like, it, it's like an oxymoron, but it's true. Like, that would imply that at some point he was dislikable. He wasn't. It just. You as the viewer, and this goes without knowing even the subject matter of the film, you could just tell something was missing in his life. Yes. And it's finally here again. And because he's fighting crime again, we are introduced to one of the all-time great characters to ever come out of Disney or Pixar when we are introduced to Edna Mode.
1: You find me somebody who doesn't like Edna, and you find me a liar.
0: There, I know people who like... Okay, you may or may not remember this, but I'm going to bring it up now. There were people that I think liked Edma, Edna Mode a little too much. This had to be 10 or 12 years ago. We were going into the city to see a show, and we were riding on the LIRR, and there were these
1: kids behind mm-hmm. us. They had to be 16. I remember. Helvetica is my favorite font.
0: yes. And all they could say for an hour and 20 minutes was Edna Mode.
1: I forgot that part of it. I didn't. (laughs) I was just so stuck on how hard these kids were trying to sound like hipsters. I got stuck on the Helvetica thing, but oh my God, I I remember that now. That just came back to me in a flash. Oh my goodness. It was
0: an hour and 20 minutes of it. Over And over and over again.
1: (laughs) But the funniest thing about this is that Edna probably has the least amount of screen time in this film, but it just goes to prove what a great character she is because she was the phenomenon that came out of this film.
0: I know. I love her intro. I just love how from the moment you are introduced to her, you know exactly who she is. Now, and they played it very tactfully because these fashion designers, you know, like, you've seen it, like, parodied in Zoolander, right? And Zoolander came out around the same time that this did. So there was a real opportunity there for this to be a lot goofier than it was, but they just played it so right because... She is dry and she is over it. Even when she was relevant, Edna was over it.
1: But she's also this firecracker. And I feel like everybody knows someone like that who is, you know, it's the very definition of good things come in small packages. That they're just a tiny person, but they've got this huge personality.
0: And I love the tangent she goes on with the capes.
1: Oh, my God. That is one of the best parts of this film. Is it dark? Yes. But it's just so funny the way that she tells it. It's not only, no
0: it's not only funny the way that she tells it. And yes, it's dark because you're watching every superhero you see getting sucked into a jet engine or whatever, <laughs> or getting caught on a rocket. But like so many other things that they did in this film, it wasn't just planted to be funny. They pay off on it
1: later. Exactly.
0: It's absolutely brilliant. Now you have Edna, she fixes the patch or she patches up his suit, makes him a new one. And Helen notices the patch and knows who he went to go see. This next scene when you get Edna again because now Mr. Incredible he's he's gone back to go on another mission. And now you have Edna again with Helen. She just thinks Helen knows what's going on. This entire scene is great. And she shows her, I made suits for your entire family. And just watching the look on Helen's face the whole time while Edna just revels in her work is absolutely hysterical.
1: No, and you know that Edna's not going to let her even come up for air and explain that she had no idea what was happening. But... It's still just so well done, even though you kind of know where it's going. It's so entertaining to watch. Mm -hmm.
0: So now Bob gets caught. While all of this is happening with Edna, Bob is caught by Syndrome. How do you feel about Syndrome's motivation behind capturing Bob? Is it weak sauce or does it make sense?
1: That is the perfect question, and I feel like that is the very essence of our podcast and why we started to see how these films hold up when you watch them again as an adult. Because when I was a kid, it was like—and I mean, this was even in high school—never saw it coming. And I thought it was such a great idea to have the kid that he wasn't patient with and totally cast aside— Now, get angry, turn himself against superheroes, and use that as a motivation to want to become one. I thought it was brilliant. I think it's still a good idea, and I don't know if it's because I've seen this a bunch of times, but I think it's uber predictable now. But they do take it one step further in that it's not just that Mr. Incredible turning him away, made him become the villain. The villain also wants to become the superhero. So they do kind of... It is weak sauce, but they bring it full circle.
0: So they do bring it full circle. I don't think it's weak at all. And let me tell you why. Now, I, I, I don't know if this is just a thing that happens to boys or if it kind of happens to everybody. But I feel like more times than not when I ask uh, friends of ours, or just people in general, have you had an interaction with a celebrity that crushed you? Because they always tell you, don't meet your idols. It's always the same story. It's the same story, and it's always from a guy who experienced this as a kid where they would be 9 or 10 years old and maybe their favorite hockey player or baseball player or football player, and they would approach them to get an autograph, and they'd get shut down. And to that day, 20 years later, they have sworn off an athlete. To this day, I hate Willie Randolph. I hate Willie Randolph. Willie Randolph, who played for the Yankees, coached the Yankees, managed the Mets. I met Willie Randolph. I had a ball. I was the only person there. I asked him for an autograph, and he looked at me and said, no, I want to go home. And he left me standing there as a kid. I hate Willie Randolph.
1: That's Would words. I
0: kidnap Willie Randolph? <laughs> no. No. But it doesn't break my heart that he doesn't work in Major League Baseball anymore as a manager. Mostly, be, well, he stunk anyway, but I I get it. I get it. So, like, it it could seem weak, but here I am as a 34-year-old man hating Willie Randolph. So I totally get it.
1: No, but you just hit the nail on the head of why it is brilliant. Because the cliche is don't meet your heroes that was his figurative hero and an actual superhero so to plant that as the seed that that sprung this whole character arc okay yeah i'll I'll give you that one that is pretty strong but like i said they they do one-up it because it's not just about well i have to bring mr incredible down it's that he want all of the superheroes. The hard work has been done for him. Most of them are gone. He's just got this one left that he has to take out of the way. Right, and then he's going to become the only superhero. The irony being that he doesn't have any actual powers, but this is his only shot to do it. And and they plant that very early on too, because he made his the his flying shoes or whatever you want to call them. Right. And, and that really is the only card that he has to play. So he has to make it seem like he has powers when he actually doesn't. And he will build himself up by being the only one of his kind. Yeah. The other thing that I love that they do here is they take a trope of monologuing and the villain going on and on and on about their brilliant plan to take down the bad guy. And that ends up sort of biting Buddy.
0: Right. So again, they never just planted something. They They continued to pay off on it now Bob is captured Helen has to go and rescue him and she leaves the kids behind except oh no they stow away and here they are and Jack Jack is left with the sitter I love that they did that here I love that you get the entire family and because the whole time you're waiting on this payoff where Dash gets to use his powers, but you also, you're waiting for Violet to have a character arc. And she's not just the angsty t- teenager. And I think it's really smart that that's the direction that they tried, not just tried, but they did go with here.
1: I think this is also an important character moment for both Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible. Because she's trying to find out where he is and doesn't he doesn't know he's got the honing device on his suit that Edna put there. Right. So she finds him and inadvertently blows up his spot. But as soon as he's freed, his first move is to check and find out where she is and make sure that she's okay. And, you know, we talked about it in the top of the movie. They go to great lengths setting up the grind of the day-to-day life. And I said it before that they did give us a very clear definition that the issue was not that he resented his family. But now they deliver on it again by showing us that his family is always first, no matter how much danger that he's in.
0: Right, and there's that moment of confusion where Mirage sets him free because she feels betrayed by Syndrome, and Bob hugs her, and that's just as Elastigirl walks in, and this whole time, she doesn't really know what's going on, and she's like, you lying, cheating. I couldn't, believe upon a revisit to this film between the allegations of cheating the guns the jumping off a building like how much adult like content is here it, this movie has a lot of adult elements in it
1: but they soften it and make it funny because she's a laster girl and from a distance she just smacks this woman that she thinks is taking her man
0: yeah it's very funny i also love how They take this opportunity, really everything that built up this scene from the plane being shot down to all of this, how they really do play with Elastigirl's shape-shifting, that she can be a parachute, she can be a boat, you know, that she can just reach across the room and slap somebody. Like, I felt like it was important to see her do that because she does it all without hesitation. So you can tell that she doesn't miss a beat, which leads you to wonder whether she's been practicing on her own, because you feel like she'd kind of be out of touch with it. Not that she's going around with the police scanner, but like what has she been doing in her downtime to kind of like stay in superhero shape that she's still able to do
1: all of this? See, I don't think she ever lost it. I think that it's just enhanced by being in mama bear mode because to me, I was kind of getting annoyed briefly by the kids wanting to be involved now they're involved and they panic when they're called upon. So she just has to act as Elastigirl, but she's got to be their mom, too, because they're, they're not ready to leave the nest yet. They, they've barely even scratched the surface of what their powers are. Then they deliver on it later twofold because before she goes off to save Bob... There's the scene where they're seeking refuge in this cave, and she apologizes to her kids for asking too much of them, which I think is just such a brilliant and, again, relatable scene.
0: Well, right, because I think how many people have been forced to grow up too early, too fast, and that's exactly what happens here. And I also think that there's a level of somebody like Dash who can't wait to grow up can't like it is something there's something always better. And I want to use my powers. And how often did you, did you as a kid, all you wanted to do was grow up. And now as an adult, all you want to do is be a kid again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there is a way to connect that as well to also make these characters relatable.
1: It's such a great balance in Dash's character of wanting to grow up too fast and being in over your head. And like I said, it annoyed me briefly, but they pay off in that scene and it pays off when they start really honing in on their powers and the siblings who have been at odds with each other this entire time start to work together to a point where I found myself watching this with Dash's speed and Violet's force field and her invisibility. I was and and I was. Try you know there's a, there's a lot of great material if you want to find out more about the making of this film but i i couldn't find this i was wondering if they had established what the powers were going to be before they set out before brad bird start out to write this or if he knew what they were because in this scene with dash and violet trying to help their parents when they literally merge the powers. He finally gets to run as fast as he can, and he finds out how fast he can go. And she's in the force field, and she she shields him with it. She protects right. him, and he's like, all right, I'm going to run. And now they've got this, this moving ball that can't be penetrated. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic, and it was an absolutely wonderful visual. And you get Frozone back. Right? The super
1: suit is still funny.
0: It's still funny. And all of this because you kind of get the false ending. You get the false (sighs) ending and they pull it off so well.
1: That gets me to this day. Didn't see it coming when I was younger. And even still, I sort of forget about it. Totally lures you into a false sense of security.
0: Yeah, because you think Syndrome's just gone. And then when they get back to the house and find that Syndrome has taken jack jack the sitter's gone because he told her i'm i'm taking over for you um it's a really really good false ending and again where things sort of pay off bob is able to throw elastigirl to go after jack jack But he finally throws the car. The car that he has picked up so many times to throw, but that little kid on the tricycle, the neighbor, is always watching him, so he never actually smashes it. Well, now he can actually do it. And I love it. And they pay off on the cape.
1: That is totally full circle. And the other huge payoff in this ending is that you get... Fine, we'll call it a cameo. It totally counts. You get Frank and Ollie.
0: yeah ain't no school like the old school
1: it's the perfect line it's just so amazing to see this tribute to them animated and populating this world that they've got us to completely fall in love with at this point
0: right so all right we've got everything has paid off the movie has ended We have the Underminer. They've kind of gone back to living a normal-ish life where Dash can participate in school sports. Do we have anything else to discuss before we move on to characters and cast here?
1: It leaves them all in such a great place. Not only did they get to go on this adventure and you know, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl got to relive the glory days, and now the kids are involved and they got to find out what they're truly made of. They can go back to their everyday life, but full of more confidence. I mean, Dash always had that confidence, and he just wanted to run. And I think it's so funny how they did this scene when they're like, all right, no, hold back, don't win, do it a close second. That's hysterical. But we get to see this full arc from Violet because now she's got this newfound confidence She's got her hair pulled back. She's able to talk to a boy, no problem, without going invisible. So I think that's that's kind of important, too. All right, well, They tied up every loose end. It
0: does. Let's talk about some of these characters in the cast, starting with Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, played by Craig T. Nelson, Coach, um, or for some other people, you know him from um, Poltergeist, He's really, really good in this role. You forget, I think if it's been a while since you've seen this, you forget how much of this really is his movie.
1: Agreed. I don't want to get ahead too much with what we're going to talk about next week, but I do feel like the sequel is more balanced because even though Elastigirl is the one to go off and actually save the day and it's more her adventure... Mr. Incredible gets just as much screen time at home holding down the fort. We didn't really see too much of Helen's end of this at home. Right. Other than her putting together her, oh my God, he's cheating breadcrumb trail.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about her for a second. Helen, Elastigirl, played by Holly Hunter. You know, Holly Hunter, she was, I remember being a kid and Holly Hunter was everywhere. Like she was a pretty big star in the 80s and the early 90s. And I felt like she kind of went away for a while, but I really love her in this part. I thought she did a great job.
1: I hate to say this because she is a very talented actress, but her voice has always annoyed me. That, it, it's certainly not a lisp, but that, I don't know how she talks like that. It, it just, it has always annoyed me. But, I will say that it does work here. And I don't know that I could picture Elastigirl voiced by anybody else. Whereas I was going to say, Mr. Incredible, I think that Craig T. Nelson is fantastic. But I could also picture John Goodman doing it.
0: Goodman's done too much with Disney.
1: That's true. He's Sully. You wouldn't go back to back.
0: Well, he's Sully and he was in Emperor's New Groove.
1: Right, so but when you think so about a big hulking guy, I mean, who else would you cast? You know,
0: well, Brad Garrett, but it would be too funny. Mm-mm-mm. No, Craig T. Nelson was perfect for this. He was perfect. I'm not
1: saying he wasn't perfect, but I'm just saying there there is an op- other option. I don't love Holly Hunter, but I can't see Elastigirl sounding any other way. So I will. I, I guess you could say it's perfect casting then.
0: Mm-hmm. Sarah Vole is. Violet Parr, really a mysterious character. I I kind of love the mystery that she puts behind this character. Obviously, we see a lot of Violet really out of her shell in the second movie, but she's so mysterious in this movie and so different that it adds like an extra layer of drama that I absolutely
1: love. Violet always makes me think of... Randy Cartwright, who we had the amazing good fortune when our show was just starting out to interview. I mean, yes. seriously, we were like 13 episodes in and he still agreed to do it when we were nobody. Um, but I had asked him just because I was so curious with all of the computer animation, if there was a character now that existed in the in the Disney Pixar canon that he would have liked to draw and he said Violet. And that's so interesting Because such a big point of contention with Violet was how to animate her hair. Because you've got this gorgeous, sleek black hair, but it's got so much movement. And that all, even though it is on a computer, has to be generated.
0: Right. And they said that it just looked so flat. And that was a big challenge, making it look lifelike. I mean, on all of them, yes, but specifically on Violet.
1: But knowing that now, interesting that Randy Cartwright would want to sit there and draw that out in each yeah. frame. Spencer Fox
0: plays Dash. He's just a lot of fun. He's a fun character. I thought that Spencer Fox gave him... I mean, yes, boyish charm, of course, but gave him such a such an energy, such a lovable energy, um, because I know... There were moments where you were sort of annoyed with the kids that they were like so gung-ho and then they were afraid and reluctant. But there's just something about Dash that I find so endearing.
1: Same. I think that's because of the way that he's written to not just be the tropey kid brother who's always annoying the older sibling. They gave him such a good arc in and of himself and they gave him so much depth. There's just a lot to him. And it's like I said, they picked the perfect age. It's not like he's an older teenager where he's just over this or he's not interested in having these powers or that he's trying to hide this because it's something that's going to make it. That that is a trope they could have gone with, is that it's something that makes him different and he just wants to blend in. That's not the case at all. He wants to fully embrace them.
0: Lucius Best, also known as Frozone, also known as... Samuel L. Jackson. That's all I need to say. Put Samuel L. Jackson in anything, and I'm I'm in.
1: You know, is he a Disney Legend yet? He has to be. I mean, he's been in Star Wars. He's Nick Fury, and he's frozen. He's got to be. If not, he's a contender. He has to be.
0: If he's not already, he will be soon. Brad Bird is Edna Mode, not originally who was going to be cast in the role. That within itself is a very interesting story.
1: I mean, we said it before. She's such a fascinating character. She is a scene stealer. She was modeled off of Edith Head, who was a very famous costume designer. Um, She did a ton of Audrey Hepburn movies. That's probably what she's best known for. Sabrina, Roman Holiday, um, of that classic Hollywood cinema era. Um, So it's a little bit of her. And then Brad Bird had a run in with Bette Midler and that's who he modeled Edna off of aesthetically. Uh, They were going to cast Lily Tomlin to voice her. And what you do in the film to make sure that the story is working and that the timing is working out and everything matches is you scratch in the voiceover. So somebody just says the words to put them in. But because Brad Bird had created this whole persona and he wrote Edna and he knew the character inside and out. He voiced her with such a passion that when they offered the role to Lily Tomlin, she was like, no, you do it. Keep going.
0: That's, amazing. It is amazing. I think probably, though, the most amazing one, and it's why I saved him for last, Snoochie Boochie's Brody Man, Jason Lee plays Buddy slash Incrediboy slash, slash Syndrome. I love... That this is Jason Lee. Same. Going back to the Mall Rats days where he's Brody, the comic book superhero nerd, where, I mean, the guy literally loses Shannon Doherty so that he can stay up playing Sega and reading comic books. I mean, is there a better person to put in this role? I think not. And I just love the fact that he finally got a chance to actually play a superhero in a film other than Jason Lee's just very talented to begin with. And he's so funny. He was so good in this role.
1: People do not appreciate Jason Lee enough as it is, but he gave Buddy a really menacing quality when he needed to. But more importantly, he was pretty mellow and pretty even keel throughout the whole thing so that he is unsuspecting and I I think he really nailed that because that's not easy to do in a film like this that is so flashy with its sets and with its color I feel like you'd want to be over the top and it would be so tempting especially as the villain to really give it that like classic Disney panache that we love and, and really go too far with it. But I, I think he just had such a perfect balance.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I want to talk about what you just mentioned with the colors and the setting and all of that because I want to talk about the animation. I want to talk about the world building here because it's very interesting and yet also frustrating, I think, at the same time. Yeah. Okay, some of this animation... I just want to get this out of the way. Some of this animation is absolutely incredible. And some of it is absolutely terrible. Some of it looks like a video game.
1: I wouldn't say terrible. I would say it feels dated because of what we know now.
0: More times than not, it's really good. But when it's bad, it's bad.
1: Yeah, it looks like you need another layer rendered or something.
0: Okay, yeah. So it it just looks like they didn't finish rendering something properly. Specifically, there's a scene where Bob is on the phone with Helen and Helen's got like jack-jack on her hip and she's cooking something on the stove in the kitchen. It's in like the first 10 minutes of the movie, maybe 15 minutes of the movie. It's it's horrible.
1: It almost looks like The Sims, especially because she's cooking.
0: Yes. It it almost has like that made-for-TV quality to it as well somewhere between a video game and, a, and the sims and a made for tv movie it just doesn't it doesn't look done then the backgrounds are not good at all
1: it, no i i agree and i hate do you being, know the scene i'm talking about i do i do and there were a couple of times in the beginning that it jumped out i feel like it happens more and actually i'm wondering if this was a stylistic choice I feel like it happens more in the mundane. I feel like it happens once the powers are stripped away. I wonder if that was a conscious choice to give it a stronger juxtaposition against Volcano Island and when they are superheroes, or if it was a matter of timing and they wanted the superhero scenes to look more flashy, that maybe they didn't have enough time to do something like this. But knowing what I know now and how painstaking the effort was to get Violet's hair to move correctly and that this was that's the other thing we have to keep in mind this is the first time really that they animated humans think about what came before this Toy Story you made plastic looking toys Monsters Inc. okay you have Boo but she's a baby you can do a little bit more with her Finding Nemo it's Fish this is humans and you had to clothe them. So it's not just the hair. It's getting, I mean, they had people whose job it was just to make sure the fabric on their clothes was moving the right way. And especially for a character like Edna, that's super important.
0: Right. I The teeth, too. Like, that was a thing. Like, that was such a thing. All of the teeth for these characters. This is a really, this is an interesting story as well.
1: Right. And I, I noticed it for Buddy, and I was like, that's such a, detail that he's got like this snaggle tooth because again this is animated this is something that you have to make a conscious effort and, and make a decision to put in a film and create it that way but what they did was they went around to everybody who was willing at the Pixar studios to take a picture of their teeth and they modeled all the characters teeth off of them so that they looked different and unique so that's where to go back to your point I feel like it was maybe a conscious decision to make everyday life seem a little bit more mundane because I can't imagine with that level of detail in other areas that something like that would have slipped.
0: Right. And, and talking about mundane as well, you have, what is it, the ba- everyday man or background man?
1: Right. Again, to save time and presumably budget. Uh, they they modeled the background character. Again, this is the first time they're doing people. You have to create background extras. So they created one man and they morphed him into almost every background character that they could. They even eventually got him transformed into Bob's boss, who we didn't talk about is voiced by Wallace, Wallace Sean.
0: Inconceivable. Yeah, you can't miss him. No.
1: You know the voice, even if you don't if you don't know the name.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um but yeah, like they did just a lot of really interesting things, and I guess it was just very primitive. Like you said, 2004, you know, you're nine years after the release of Toy Story, so I guess for me, where the animation falls flat, it's like, how the hell did you fall flat on this when Toy Story still looks good to this day? But you forget, you're right. I mean, it was really the first time they did a, an entire cast of human beings in a Pixar film and they wanted it to look so authentic. I think that's what stands out with this like painstaking effort with the hair, with the teeth, with just about everything. It's wild.
1: But at the same time, with the faces, it doesn't look authentic and that was all done by design so that this movie could be hyper stylized. Like the it gets me every time like Bob looks so weird once he takes the mask off because he's got that The bridge of his nose. Yeah. It's it's just such a distinct feature on him. Um, You know, we talked about it at the beginning. He looks all muscular in his opening interview. But then when he's out, like literally out of shape, they really bloat him up. Um, But even still, it's like a caricature of a human. It's it's not really, it's supposed to look like a comic come to life. And I, I love that about it.
0: So you talked about how everything was stylized. I want to talk about the world building here for a minute because I really love like this mid-century modern everything that they did here.
1: It's amazing. It feels like Tomorrowland to me in some ways. Like I know that's supposed to be futuristic, but actually what it really feels like to me, maybe I say Tomorrowland because I'm thinking the Carousel of Progress specifically. It seems so dated now. But it was always supposed to be the turn of the century. So if you don't think about all the technology that we have now, if you can place yourself in the shoes of Walt Disney during his lifetime, when he was so obsessed with the great big beautiful tomorrow and keep moving forward. It is this really it embodies Disney It embodies like what Main Street USA is, is that it's this timeless era that's looking towards the future
0: well that's the exact thing like it's it feels dated but also futuristic at the same time
1: right because it sort of looks 60s ish especially when you see the house like that screams Brady Bunch to me but then you see them using more modern phones you see like you said the iPad they do have all of this technology uh The cars look pretty classic. Well, some of them, because then when Mirage shows up, she's got like a flashy car. But Mr. Incredible's car looks kind of classic to me.
0: Right. And you wonder, as you see this, it's like, is this a style, you know, was this a conscious decision that they wanted to stylize it this way? Or are you not supposed to know exactly in the timeline of the universe where any of this really takes place. And that kind of circles back to how our discussion of this film started.
1: I think it's a little column A, a little column B. But just looking back on it now, I almost feel like it's almost like a Jetsons kind of thing. Or same thing, like I said, Carousel of Progress. It's what you thought the future was going to be at the time, which is just a weird thing to look back on now, Mm. now that we're past it. But it's either way, it looks incredible. It's stunning. And then when you think about Edna's uh, her, we'll call it her lab, it's not a design studio. It's right. a laboratory. That's very futuristic.
0: It definitely is. Let's talk about the efforts that they had to go to to continue building a world once we get to the island. And they talked about Dash specifically and how much more difficult his powers made the job of world building for them
1: I remember thinking that as I was watching it how I mean it's amazing because he's moving so fast I was sitting there thinking to myself like how did they achieve this because it's it's almost they created the effect basically of shooting in fast motion and speeding it up to keep up with him but what I didn't realize until we started digging in and doing our our homework was how much, ex- how many extra scenes they had to create because he's just tearing up road and they have to give him somewhere to go. So I can't even imagine, and that's where it's like I, it's not fair to be critical of the day to day life stuff because they went through such painstaking lengths to make the hundred yard dash scene seem believable.
0: Yeah, and it, and I mean, he's he's
1: running on water. That is so rad.
0: It definitely pays off in the end. It's it definitely makes it worthwhile. Let's talk about the music here for a minute. Talk about the score. The music was done by Michael Giacchino, um,
1: who you know as the composer of Lost. That's probably his biggest claim to fame. Other than well, and this because this music is amazing.
0: It is. I think that it acts as another character. I think it works hand in hand with the world building, with the story, with the characters. I mean, I've said that before. Sometimes music is its own character in a film, and I think that you find no better example of that than what you have in this
1: movie. What's amazing to me is how predominant it is in scenes, and it's supposed to be loud, and you get like those really brassy trumpet hits, but it doesn't distract from anything that's going on because it's supposed to be in your face. It's supposed to be, you know, it is the equivalent of that pop of color in their red suits. And it's supposed to be flashy, but at the same time, it's like you said, the world building, it's something that feels classic and familiar at the same time as as feeling like a real cinematic superhero soundtrack. Mm-hmm, for sure.
0: Okay, um, final thoughts. I think it's time for final thoughts here.
1: Uh, I mean, do I even have to say it? This one's getting a perfect for me.
0: Absolutely. This is a perfect movie.
1: Aside from those little things that we picked apart with the animation, it's still absolutely amazing. But even if you strip all of that away, I, I said it a million times, the script is perfect. It should be studied. It's just textbook of what a good story, a good plot, and great character development can do when they're carried out so harmoniously.
0: I agree with all of that, but there's one thing in particular that stands out almost above all. This is one of the all-time great superhero movies. And, and I say that stacked up against any of the Avenger films, any Superman film, any Batman film. There's no canon. There is no canon for this movie.
1: That's kind of refreshing.
0: You have absolutely no reference to any of these characters. You don't have history with these characters. You don't have stacks and stacks of comics in regards to these characters. But you know exactly who they are. It's, they are fleshed out so well as characters from the jump. The world. Metroville that they built. Everything that they did was so tactful and so well done. That when you stack that up against a franchise that has, I mean, just Batman and Superman alone. You have like 160 years of content just with those two combined. The fact that you could have something so cohesive here with no reference and no canon speaks to how well the story was written. That's why, to me, this movie gets a perfect score. But we want to know what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. What is your review of The Incredibles? News of the week is coming up, as well as a contest winner. But first, a quick break. Hey, guys. My name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four night Disney cruise ship and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So
1: if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation and possibly purchasing a photo package, we'll get to that in just a moment. Hey. Get in touch with me through our social media at Monorail Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolesi that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com.
0: News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. Whether you are looking for that little touch of disney in your everyday life or perhaps hey if you're getting married this year you need save the dates invitations thank you cards table numbers etc kelly has you covered plus listeners of monoreal radio get a 10 percent discount with the code monoreal 10 at checkout go to their website karma and kismet that's karma the letter n kismet we got a couple of trailers this week, some new trailers, some trailers that are getting you really excited. We got a Loki trailer. Now, I am so interested in knowing what is happening in the lo- world of Loki. Listen, WandaVision was outstanding. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we're now three episodes in. Also, I like it. I don't like it as much as WandaVision, but I like it. I, I, But I'm, th- something about this Loki really has me interested.
1: Oh, I want to mainline the show into my brain. I can't wait. Theory? Should we go out on the limb? Yeah, sure. Because that is something I will say. I'm enjoying Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I, I miss the obsession of WandaVision. There's not as much speculation. There's not as many fan theories going on. And I I definitely miss that. I think Loki is going to bring that back, though.
0: Well, yeah, because I think, here's my thing. When I look back on WandaVision and The Mandalorian, I couldn't not watch them the day they released. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I feel like if I watch it four days later, I'm fine. Like, it's not going to get spoiled, and I'm not in any particular rush to watch it. I mean, yeah, we watch it on its first day. But if I don't, I feel like I wouldn't really care. Like, there's no way I was going to miss WandaVision or Mando on its release day.
1: Yeah, it's not to say that it's not good or that it's not even holding my interest. It is. It's just that that fandomonium is not quite there. Uh, but for Loki, obviously, we we know we're going to see some timeline jumping and timeline warping. Uh, and I keep coming back to what Doctor Strange tells Tony Stark that there's whatever number it was, how many possibilities of how it could go to defeat Thanos, but there's only one that's going to work, and and that was Tony sacrificing himself to save the human race. So I wonder if we're going to see this play out in, I mean, it has to be those different ways, right? Because this is what Loki was doing once he got the Tesseract.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: And I wonder if maybe we're going to get to see him play the hero. I'm wondering if in some way as he's jumping through these timelines that he helps the Avengers in, in some way.
0: I'm excited for Loki. The more and more I see of Emma Stone, the more and more excited I get for Cruella. We got another trailer drop. We are, we're starting to really fill in the gaps and answer some questions here. Each trailer looks better than the last trailer. I'm so excited for this movie.
1: Yeah, and the more I'm seeing of Emma Thompson, they keep peeling that back and revealing yeah. more about her. I am very interested to see where they go with this.
0: Yeah. The most exciting news of the week for so many reasons is that... They are lifting the mask restrictions at Disney World while, okay, disclaimer, while you are taking a photograph. You still need to wear the mask if you're walking through the park. You still need to wear it on on an attraction. When you eventually can see a show, you must wear them. Unless you're stationary and eating or drinking, they have to stay on. Now, the fact that you can take them off, because I will admit, there was something about taking a selfie in front of anything at disney with the mask on that i kind of felt like this doesn't feel right it's so if it just feels impersonal to me the fact that you can now take the mask off to take your photographs it's, it's a sign that we are getting back to normal and that's the most important thing
1: but to each his own because there are a lot of people who still don't agree with this and if if that's the case then maybe don't now is disney. not the time to go um but i think What's important, you're right, it it did kind of feel weird to take the mask selfie while we were there, albeit we were only in Disney Springs, and we're really silly because when we were eating, we could have taken a selfie at the table without the mask on, and we didn't. We took that picture with <laughs> the mask on. In front of the Raya on. billboard. We did that, and then we took the... Brendan and Catherine, the first <laughs> picture we
0: have with our dear friends, Brendan and Catherine from Detour to Neverland, is with the masks on. Even though we had just spent two and a half hours at a dinner table with them, where a member of the staff at the boathouse would have gladly taken our photograph.
1: We didn't at really least think we remembered the picture this time, because the first time we had dinner with them, we didn't do it at all. Anyway, for us who are fortunate enough to get to go every year, sometimes multiple times during the year. It wasn't a big deal not to take those pictures. But I'm thinking more of the family of four or five or six that this is their once-in-a-lifetime trip or maybe when they're going when the kids are younger, Yeah, that these are going to be very special memories to them. And you're not going to want to remember The masks. So you're not going to want to remember wearing them. You're not going to want to be reminded of the pandemic when you look back on these pictures. So to be able, if you're going for the 50th anniversary and this is your big, big trip, to be able to get a nice photo where you can see everybody smiling, that's an important thing to have.
0: Absolutely. I'm just very encouraged by... What we have coming on the horizon between Disneyland reopening, now you can take your mask off to take a photograph. We know that fireworks are being tested. You know the the uh, the effects for harmonious are in place. The
1: World the- Showcase looks like a giant piece of metal. Listen, yes, right, right in the right direction.
0: It's better than we were a year ago, in spite of the fact that it looks stupid, Chapik. It's better than we were a year ago. And I think that's that's the eye that you must keep on the ultimate prize.
1: Epcot forever.
0: Speaking of prizes, we have one to give away. Thank you to everybody that entered. You were playing here to win a Monorail Radio t-shirt and a fantastic Mickey Balloon Straw Charm from our friends at the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. And the winner of our contest is Matt C. Matt, thank you so much. We're going to reach out to you on social media to get your shipping information, and we'll get your prize pack sent out right away. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget, if you want to keep up with the show, maybe keep your eye out for the next giveaway. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Monoreal Radio. We're on TikTok as well. You can also like subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice send us an email monorealradio at gmail.com and of course links to the show the social media and everything is online at monoreal thank you all so much for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us we'll see you at the movies the stuff dreams are made of